are in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. And um, at verse 42, <coughs> uh, from where we find uh, our text today, and take our text, and it simply says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I want us to think about this this morning. We, as we think about the Lord's Supper, of which this verse is a part, uh, uh, we want to think about what it means to uh, be a healthy believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what strikes a person about this passage is not only the fact that it shows how the worship of the early church began to take shape, but it happened after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, the day that the, the Spirit of God came in His fullness and, and blessed His church. And yet, uh, one might think, especially given the age in which we've grown up in, that there is this conflict between the Spirit of God and the means of grace, or the ordinariness of church life. One of the things that stands out to us in this passage is not the fact that these things were competing with one another. As some might say, well, you have doctrine. You're a doctrinal church, but we are a spirit-filled church, and so on. And oftentimes you hear that, and they're often... Uh, uh, put up against one another. So you think they're mutually exclusive. But the wonderful thing about this passage as we read it, as it forms a whole, a whole chapter, we see it seamlessly moving from one into another in terms of the, the great work of God. You see there earlier on in the chapter uh, where the Spirit of God was speaking through the apostles so that people from all over the different parts of the world, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and so on, they were all hearing in their own language. That was the miracle of Pentecost. It was a miracle of Pentecost. They weren't speaking gibberish. They were speaking known languages. So that Peter was speaking in such a way that someone from, uh, 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 from Cappadocia would be able to understand. Uh, that another apostle, John, was speaking in another way that someone from Pamphylia could understand, and Egypt, and so on. And this is what was amazing them. And so the, we see a, a great work of the Spirit of God. There was a, a true miracle going on there. And as the chapter unfolds, what we find is the, the, the early believers, the 3,000 people, it says there in verse 41, that were converted, gave expression to that miracle being filled with the Spirit in doing the things that we find in our text. And it bears repeating because sometimes, as it is with human nature, we, 
we begin to take these things for granted and need to be reminded of what place they were found in the early church and how the early church cherished these vehicles through which they came to know and to serve God. And of course, Luke is writing Acts to show what church life is to look like going forward for the church down through time. This is to be a model for us. There was a book written recently called The Trellis and the Vine, a very good book, uh, but it, it, it talked about the church structures upon which believers grow healthily in their Christian life and in the church. Uh, when I was a boy, we used to have a, a, a front uh, porch, and we used to have uh, uh, baler twine hanging from the top to the bottom, and on that baler twine, little vines would grow up. And so in the summer, the whole front porch was closed in, um, and, and you can kind of sleep out there, and, and uh, sorts of things. It was lovely. Uh, it, the, the whole thing was closed in by these beautiful vines. But the vines grew upon something. There, there, there was direction and there was purpose in the vine. That's the way it is with you and I as Christians. We are to grow, but we are to grow in a certain way with, within the means that God has given to us. Not means that we make up ourselves, but the means through which the Bible sets out for us here. It was true for the 3,000 people that were converted on that day, filled with the Spirit. It was true for the apostles who were endued with the, the authority and the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, it is also a pattern for ourselves. These are things that never change. And so it's important that as we look, about, look at what happened and the great change that took place in the early church with the coming of the Spirit in His fullness, we also need to remember that it doesn't disqualify, but rather enhances the things that the early church were doing. And so Luke basically is saying that what did they do after they were filled with the Spirit, after they heard the great works of God? What did they do? They went to church. They went to church. They were doing what we are doing and have been doing for a very long time. But it bears repeating. We need to be reminded as we think about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to grow as a Christian, and to grow as a healthy believer. And so as one has put it, this is the first major summary of the church's activity. It doesn't take long. We're in the second chapter of Acts, and it's the first major summary of how the church was taking shape. What was important to them? What did they give themselves over to? 
It says they devoted themselves. That's the first thing that we need to see. I think in older versions it tells us that they continued steadfastly. I like that. They continued steadfastly. But devoted has that idea of that same idea. The idea of devotion. Of love, as it were, as a man and a woman might have for one another. This is how the early uh, disciples thought about their relationship with Christ. It wasn't a, simply a legal relationship, but it was a loving relationship. They devoted themselves to God. They devoted themselves to the Lord Jesus as Paul, as, as John says, for example, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation for our sins. We love Him because He first loved us. And so out of that, there is this sense of devotedness, of steadfastness in the things of God. Paul says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and not be moved away from the hope of the Gospel. And so there is that passion that we bring to these things. And that's what is to sustain us. That is what is to drive us. That devotion to the Lord. Which makes sense after, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, after all that they have just heard. Peter gives this glorious explanation of the love of God towards sinners through Christ. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise where they put all the puzzle pieces together and say, "Okay, now a picture is emerging, emerging of the fulfillment of prophecy. We get it. We understand it." But no. It was, they were moved. We see that in their response. Brothers, what shall we do? They were emotionally moved. They were cut to the heart. And so that, that, that is where this is coming out of. For those who were unconverted, they were stricken with a sense of, if I am unsaved, if I am a sinner, and this is what happened to the Lord of glory. And this is the purposes that God is working out for him. What then must I do? That's a question we all must ask. It's a universal question. And these people represented the world. They represented people from all over the world. And yet in spite of that, they say, what does this mean for me? There was an emotional uh, attachment to, to what Peter was saying. But there was also a sense of moving on from that. Moving on from being cut to the heart. Of being filled with a sense of God's awesome love. And it's no wonder that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and so on. We bring this passion to our faith. We are to bring it to our faith each and every day. We are to be unceasing. We are to be tireless in as we approach God. 
We are to never to approach God in a kind of a casual way or a dead way or an empty way. But to be going to God and say, Lord, revive my heart. Fill my heart with love for You. Lord, let me not read such words and just be empty as if I'm reading a a manual for a machine of some kind. Lord, help me to devote myself to the things that will help me to understand Your love for me and my love for others. They devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? The Apostles' teaching. The Apostles' teaching. Again, as I said at the outset, we don't find the Spirit in contradistinction to the Word of God. We know evidence of the, that the Spirit of God is in a church by our elevation of the Word of God, our love for the Word of God. That's how you know. And that was the characteristic of revivals in the past. It wasn't simply signs and wonders, and, but it was a love for the Word. People loved going to church. People loved hearing the Word, feeding on the Word, couldn't get enough of the Word. And so evidence of the Spirit's presence in a church will be a love for the Word. And the evidence of the Spirit of God in your own heart will be a love for the Word. And evidence of the lack of the Spirit in your life will be not having an appetite for the Word of God. You can go from one end of the day to the next and not open the Word of God, not care if you're feeding your soul upon it. For here, one of the signs of the Spirit of God, as it truly manifests itself, not only in the speaking of tongues, was devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching. I want to read the Word. I want to get into the Word. I want to find out full manifestation of God's love to me in Christ. God's faithfulness. His wisdom. His power. Because I live in a fallen world with a fallen heart and I need everything that God can give me. And so I would devote myself to the Apostles' uh, teaching. That was simply the Apostles' teaching of what we just saw in the, in the previous part of the chapter. As Peter goes back into the Old Testament, which was really all they had. They only had the Old Testament. And Peter went back as Jesus Himself went back and showed them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Friends, that's what tells us that what we have here is the Word of God. That it verifies itself. It's not simply a collection of wise writings. But it verifies itself. And this is where Peter was excited. Where Jesus Himself could stand and, 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 and explain the Word of God because He was preaching Himself. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. And so they... Why wouldn't... In, when, you, when you think of that, why wouldn't they devote themselves after, after hearing what they just heard? This is that which was spoken of the prophet. David speaks of Jesus here. David speaks of Jesus there. David knew that God would raise up 
an heir to sit on his throne. Therefore, he spoke of the Christ, who would not lie in the tomb and see corruption, but would be raised on the third day. This Christ, whom you have crucified, uh, this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And the weight of that was stirring their souls, convicting them, moving them. This is what it is for us to continue in the Apostles' doctrine. This is what it is to, for us to come week by week and pray that the Word of God would be preached clearly, powerfully, and with great effect in the hearts of all who come. This shouldn't be unusual, where the people were cut to the heart, where people uh, rose out with a rose up with a greater sense of devotion and steadfastness. This ought to be the typical way in which we go out from every worship service, where there's conviction, where there's devotion, where there's renewed steadfastness to the things of the Lord Jesus. And so why wouldn't they continue steadfastly after hearing what they just heard? They want more of it. More of this! They cry. They heard one of the greatest Bible studies they'd ever heard. They, 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 here was the word that they thought they knew. They thought that they knew it. They carried around in little boxes on their heads and around their wrists. And, and they, they kissed it and they memorized it and they thought they knew it and then all of a sudden they have this man stands up and he opens the word of God to them comes alive to them it's it's new it's fresh to them and so when the spirit of God is present then there is a we're drawn into the word we don't become independent of the word we don't say it's the spirit and doctrine the doctrine is simply a word for teaching. Jesus taught his disciples. The apostles, this was the apostles' teaching. The Spirit is not contrary. The Spirit is indeed the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of truth. And Jesus says on the night before he died, he says to the Father, Your word is truth. It is full of the Spirit. It is given by the Spirit of God. Holy man of old wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, says Peter. So they continued. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing, but it's not the only thing. And fellowship. Fellowship. It makes sense because we believe in a trinity. We believe in one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a, a fellowship of persons within the Godhead. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God in three persons. It's mysterious. But it's there before us in the pages of Scripture. And out of this trinity, out of this divine fellowship, the body of Christ then takes shape. 
It's a work of the Spirit. In fact, in the benediction that we often say at the end of our services, we say that the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Is the Spirit of God in that church? Well, they will be a people of the Word, but they will be a people who love being together, investing their lives in one another, giving to and for one another. That's the idea of fellowship. It's not simply having a cup of tea and talking about the football game yesterday. That's not just because two Christians get together and talk does not mean it's Christian fellowship. John or, or, or Luke means something far deeper here. It's not just people gathered together in one place, but it's an investing of, of our lives in one another's lives. It has the idea of contributing or giving. That's the idea of the word here for fellowship. And therefore, fellowship is a, a, a giving, a mutual generosity as we see there in verses 44 and 45. How does, how does Luke define what that fellowship looked like? It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is not a, a model for socialism, as some people have tried to define it. Uh, that, that God wants us to not own anything, sell all we have, and just distribute it so there's equality among all people. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that the love of God had gripped those 3,000 believers to the extent that when they saw need around them, and there was great need, they said, how can I close up my heart against other people in need when God has given me so much? It's the idea of practical living out of our Christian faith, not simply in saying that we are one people. Not just saying, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, we believe the same things, but investing ourselves, finding out what is going on in the other person's life, praying for, providing for the needs of the other. Not only locally, but having fellowship with Christians all over the world. Expressing our solidarity and our unity with, with believers everywhere. I love what Gordon Ketty, who wrote a commentary on Acts, said. He said, that this fellowship is Christ-centered mutual affection and action and includes everything from joining in worship, which we, which we are doing this morning, to conversations, meals, and working together in all the activities of the Christian community as it grows internally and reaches out externally. I think that's a great definition. And it goes above and beyond. The modern notion of fellowship, well, we had fellowship. Well, we were two Christians, we got together and we talked about things that may have been not related to our lives as Christians at all. We have to disabuse ourselves of those ideas and come back to a biblical notion of what it means to enjoy real fellowship. And so uh, they devoted themselves the fellowship. They understood 
the concept of the body. They understood the fact that they were, for one, living in a hostile environment with Pilate and Herod. And they were certainly, although God had blessed them richly, they were certainly not out of the woods in terms of persecution. And they needed one another. They needed to be there for one another. As Paul expressed later in Corinthians, he's saying to the Corinthians, what about your brethren in Jerusalem who are suffering? And he stirs them up to express this fellowship with them by completing the collection that they had started a year ago, but they had, hadn't completed. They needed one another. We need one another. And this, what we're doing here today, is an expression of what it is to be a church led by God's Spirit in being together, mutually confessing our faith, as we come to the Lord's table, as we sing, as we hear, as we learn. But even outside the walls of this church, praying for one another and being there in whatever way we can be for one another's faith. To be keepers of one another's faith. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread. This is not simply going off for a meal somewhere or having a meal in a home. But because it's there in the midst of the teaching, the fellowship, and the prayers, it has a religious overtone and points us to what we're doing here today. The breaking of bread together as we observe the Lord's Supper. It was there from the very outset as the Lord and the night before He died, the night in which he was betrayed, in fact, says Paul. Really setting the context and the spirit of the night in which Jesus gave us this supper. In the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They no longer had Jesus in their midst. We don't have Jesus physically in our midst. But God condescends to our, uh, our, our necessity and gives us a tangible, as it were, connection with Jesus. He is in heaven. But Jesus so wanting to make that connection with His people gives us this meal so that as we physically hold the bread and drink the wine, we say, just as surely as I'm nourished by this physically, I'm also nourished spiritually. And Jesus is just as real as these elements I hold in my hand. And they are a, a great expression of God's love to me. Think of those words. This is my body which is broken for you. And when we do that, when we see the bread being broken, when we ingest the bread, we begin to consider the cost. What it cost Him. This is My body, which is broken for you. A spotless Lamb of God. There was no other way, friends. There was no other possible way in which God could reconcile us to have anything to do with us apart from the death of Jesus. And so from the very outset, they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. 
It set Jesus before them on a regular basis. It was different from prayer. It was different from the preaching. It was different from fellowship, as all of these things are. And we need all of them, you see. The Lord's Supper is a visible demonstration of the Gospel. Here, what I'm doing this morning, it's a verbal proclamation. The Lord's Supper is a visual demonstration. God is appealing to our our senses, isn't He? Of touch and taste and smell and seeing and so on. He comes down to our level. So intent is Jesus for us to connect and to know Him in that way. And so it's important for us as we think about the Lord's Supper coming up, that we don't absent ourselves for the wrong reasons. Ah, oh, well, it's the Lord's Supper today, it's not that I'm more of a preaching kind of person. I like here preaching, and you know, I'm not so big on the Lord's Supper. No. He gives us these things. It says they devoted themselves to these things because they are all important. If Jesus gave us this the night before He died, when he knew what he was going to face on that cross the next day, friends, we have no right then to absent ourselves. Examine ourselves? Yes. Repent of our sins? Yes. Seek God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Yes. Not to absent ourselves. Now, we know that it, we often say if, if we are living in blatant disregard of, of God's law and, and so on, uh, that that it, it, that we, we we absent ourselves. That if we're not uh, cherishing Jesus, if we are disregarding what He says in His Word blatantly and openly, it shows that we're not showing true regard for what, what Jesus did. In fact, if we don't believe at all, and then the the table is not for us. But when you think of the apostles themselves. You think of Peter, who on the very night in which Jesus instituted the bread and the wine, there was Peter saying, I do not know Him. Swearing that he did not know Jesus three times. And yet Peter, in humility and brokenness, acknowledged his sin. And here he is on the day of Pentecost proclaiming uh, the true Gospel. And so we ought not to absent ourselves just as we come to the preaching of the Word, just as we pray, just as we fellowship. So must we also highly esteem the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread and finally, the prayers. This again is a, a, a sign that the Spirit has truly come. Remember the Apostle Paul when he was first converted. It is said of him, Ananias was told by the Lord, go to this man, Saul of Tarsus, for he is praying. That was, that was one of the main items, the main characteristics of Paul that showed that he was a new man. That he was truly praying. I mean, he had prayed before. People pray all the time. But now he was praying, praying, is what the Lord would say. And this is true for ourselves. 
and how the prayers of the early church would have been transformed. As they now again come to realize, just as it was in the teaching of the doctrine of the apostles' doctrine, now in their prayers, their prayers would have been transformed. What would have been the content of those prayers? It would have been the faithfulness of God in carrying out His purposes. It would have been God being true to His Word after hundreds of years of, of saying He was going to send a Messiah, and then He did. They were praising Him for the wonder of His grace and the wonder of His love, as we have been doing over the Christmas season. The wonders of His love. But you notice, they devoted themselves to the prayers. These were maybe set times of prayers that had been there previously. But they continued on with that. It was the church at prayer. It wasn't just individuals at prayer. It was the church at prayer. That's one of the main things that we see as you go through the, the book of Acts. But the church was praying for Peter. Church set apart Paul and Barnabas. The church were fasting. The church were doing these things together. This is something that we need to consider or perhaps reconsider as a fellowship in thinking about praying with one another. We have a prayer meeting which we have faithfully posted in our bulletin week by week. And I would encourage you as we think through what it means to grow on the trellis to say, okay, it's not just praying by myself, which is important, vital. But it's also equally important to pray with other believers. And I would encourage you to join with us on our Zoom prayer meeting. We meet every Saturday morning at 8.30 for just under an hour. Not everyone prays, but everyone Everyone prays, but not everyone prays audibly. And so you're not put on the spot, but uh, it's a time where we, are, where we feel the bonds of fellowship in, in a way unlike any other time in the church. And so here is the church uh, giving us, here's Luke giving us a model for how the early church grew. How they grew in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And as we renew, which is what the Lord's Supper is, it's a, a renewal of our covenant with God. It's an examining oursel ourselves and saying, how am I, what is my relationship like with Jesus? And have I been making use of the means that God has given me to draw near? Maybe my heart has grown cold. My relationship has grown distant with Jesus. Do I then need to come back and re-examine my commitment to church, hearing the Word, getting together with other Christians? Sometimes if we're always off by ourselves, we have no other Christian fellowship. No one to keep us accountable. No one to bounce things off and so on. It's easy for us to drift. Maybe my prayer life is not what it was. Maybe I'm, I'm not 
taking God seriously in the means that He has given. And so as we come and renew our covenant before God this morning in the taking of bread and wine, may God help us to examine ourselves in these things. These, on the one hand, very simple things. All contained within a verse. And yet, all of them infused with gospel richness. Infused with the Spirit's blessing when we use them in a way that God has given to us. Well, let's pray.